need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical mental suit, my physical as well as my mental suit fitness. Coffee time. That's right. It is coffee time, and you are on with the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. And uh, we are excited to be back. We're starting to get back into the roll of things. There's a rhythm that starts to pick up. It's kind of like we have this sputtering engine all summer long because we're just starving at a gas. We're using all the gas we got. We get kind of out of sync. You know, nobody sleeps. Everybody gets manic. Everybody's fishing and they're driving and they're hosting and they're, you know, they're doing everything. But uh, there's something calming about the changing of the colors and the, 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 uh, the trees around here. The, we had a windstorm yesterday and it was, uh, I came home late uh, in the evening and there were leaves all over my deck. So, you know, that rhythm of fall is starting to, to click into place and, and, Ironically, I'm starting to get more requests from folks to be on the podcast, and, and I'm having more success nailing folks down when I ask them to be on the podcast. Today, our guest is Bill Elam. Bill is, uh, as you may know, an assembly member for our illustrious Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly here. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the, this podcast here today. You well ca- caffeinated? I'm working on it. I'm working on it. But I, I would have to agree with you. It was uh, it's beautiful to get into fall here. Uh, we had plenty of of leaves and, and and wind yesterday. We actually came home to no power, so that was more fun. <laughs> yeah, tis the season. So I, I want to draw quick attention for our our uh, listening audience. You can't see me, and eventually we will hopefully remedy that. I'd like to put some cameras up in the studio here, but I am sporting our new Ammo Can Coffee Social Club swag. And uh, what's that say on that T-shirt there? Make coffee, not war. I like it. Make coffee, not war. You can't see the back, but on the back it says, if you must make war, make coffee first. (laughs) Excellent. So uh, you can go to our website, and uh, I'll let folks know that uh, we are in the midst of a membership drive. And we're going to spend a couple of minutes talking about that before we dive into the assembly and, and Bill's position there. Uh, so as Rush Limbaugh would, uh, would, would call this, the late Rush Limbaugh, a shameless commercial you know, break. We're not going to break. We're just going to dive into the commercial. But the Amalcan Coffee uh, coffee shop morphed into the social club when the government overreached its authority into our business and told us that we were not essential and then effectively bankrupted us. We were, uh, we were not expecting the storm that they created. However, I had taken some advice early in the business model not to borrow money. And because we didn't borrow money, we didn't go under. We almost did. I mean, I was, I was in that last, uh, uh, desperate struggle to grab a hold of something to get my head above the water. And uh, thanks to listeners like yourself and other supporters of the club, uh, people helped out. And uh, you all know that story. If you didn't, if you don't, uh, look up Ammo Can Coffee in the archives on Must Read Alaska, and you'll see what Suzanne Danning was able to help us do. 
as well as uh, our landlords here. They, they helped kind of give us a reprieve and eventually we had to borrow money. But uh, throughout that process, local government also decided to lend its hand in uh, uh, lend its hand to the federal government rather in helping put in the death blow to uh, any of those small businesses that uh, survived the first round of lockdowns and shutdowns. And our city council here decided late in the game that they wanted to enforce masking. That came up on the agenda. Thankfully, it failed, but uh, narrowly. And now there are some people who are running for office who have uh, had a hand in that. Uh, one in particular we hope to have on the, the show at some point to defend his rec- record. Justin uh, Ruffridge is running for a House seat. But uh, they tried to pass this ordinance, and that forced us to adapt uh, and uh, improvise and overcome. And so that's when we became the social club. So what is a social club? I mean, a social club, in my mind, you know, I think about things like, I don't know, the American Legion, um, the VFW, the um, Rotary. We are just talking about Rotary, you know. Um, there civic clubs or, you know, uh, associations of like-minded individuals with kind of a unified goal and, and mission or vision. So as we adopted this, uh, this club model, we looked at, uh, looked at what a club did, and clubs have amenities, they have benefits, they have functions, they have parties, they get together, they do things. So much more than just a coffee shop, uh, we started thinking here collectively as a family team about what does a social club offer. So um, one of the things that we looked at was uh, Costco. Costco's a club. For those of you who don't know about Costco, Costco makes a lot of its money. Uh, some would argue a majority of its money on its memberships and services, not on the product that goes across those big stacked shelves, that big warehouse. You know, you're you're a member of Costco because you're looking for the benefits of a wholesale club. You want to buy things at wholesale without the big retail markups. Well, um, so as we looked at our model, we thought, how can we borrow some of the ideas from Costco? So we created a store. We have an online store now. And um, now membership up to this point has been free. Anybody who reads our mission says, yep, I'll sign on the line. I agree to that. Uh, can become a member. It doesn't cost you anything. You get general access. Uh, you know, some would argue that the coffee shop itself is a benefit. I would argue that every morning as I sip my tasty beverage, um, that that's a benefit. But some people want more, especially if you start asking them to open their pocketbook and buy an annual membership because they're already buying the coffee, right? So um, we came up with this tiered system where we always will have these free memberships. But we said, how can we incentivize people paying for a membership? And what can we bring to them? as a thank you for that investment as a partner in AmmoCan, because that's actually what you're doing when you invest in AmmoCan or, or when you uh, become a paid member, is you're investing in the future of AmmoCan. So uh, when you look around the shop, you'll notice that our menu board has changed, and we have a whole bunch of stuff. It's now a digital menu on a, on a TV screen, and I've been working really hard to identify all the things uh, that AmmoCan is offering. But uh, 
We have a new uh, slot machine. Yes, a slot machine like Vegas style, or actually, I would say more Tokyo style. It's a Japanese slot machine I found at a flea market. It's pretty cool. But what we're going to do with that this year, and we encourage you to come in and check it out, is every time you buy a prepaid card, and we have, yes, we have plastic cards. People have been asking for this for a long time. We finally have them coming in. They'll be here in about a week. Um, every time you buy one of those cards, and they are rechargeable, and you put $10 on it, every $10 makes you eligible to receive tokens to have one play on the machine. Now, if you hit a jackpot, we will refund you the entire amount that you just put on your card. The card can be charged up to $200. So if you spend money in the coffee shop all the time, you're making a commitment to us when you pre-charge this card because you're saying, I will come and buy coffee $200 worth over the next course of however long, you know, a week, two weeks, you know, for me, that'd be like a week, you know, $200 worth of coffee. It goes quick. It goes quick. But, and people don't realize how quick, but for every $10 you put on there, you get a chance to, to do this. Well, so what? I get to play the slot machine. What's that mean? Well, if, if you, first of all, you can win the, the value of your card back. So essentially you get $200 worth of free coffee. Uh, if you don't hit the jackpot, though, and but you win some extra plays, credits, you can either choose to keep playing those out to try to win the jackpot, or you can cash those out and exchange them with us. And in October, we are going to have two $3,000 professional commercial-grade massage chairs here in the shop, and you're going to earn free time on the massage chair. This is uh, this is sounding pretty nice. So, but it but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> there always is. Every 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 uh, you know uh, late night commercial you ever watched, right? But wait, there's more. Now, if you win the jackpot, you don't just get the money back on your card, but you also get your name thrown into the hat for a quarterly prize drawing. Now, there's two jackpots. There's a small jackpot and a large jackpot. The small jackpot is for all those free members, right? If you're a free member, there's going to be a small jackpot drawn every quarter. It'll be a basket of goods from the shop, you know, beverages, drink cards, swag, you know, T-shirts, stuff like that. But the big jackpot, that's something else entirely. And uh, what the big jackpot is, is that is uh, a basket of services and goods, products, that are donated to us or actually um, given to us in exchange for advertising from our affiliated uh, businesses. Those are folks that support us, like-minded business owners. And so far this, for this quarter, I have a tentative uh, agreement with a company out of Seldovia that owns a bed and breakfast and a charter company that they're going to put in a stay in their Seldovia bed and breakfast and a halibut charter. Very nice. Pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff Knuth, uh, local realtor, entrepreneur, uh, cabin owner. Uh, he's got some cabins over off of um, the Echo Lake area. And he's donated uh, two nights stay at his cabins, one this quarter and one next quarter. We also have uh, a handyman that has uh, is an HVAC technician who has said that he will donate a, a, a well uh, checkup. Well, baby, checkup for your furnace. Very you know, nice. You want to make sure that baby keeps keeps cooking, and so he'll come in and check all the sensors and your your exhaust and you know all the gadgets, gizmos, and what's not whatnots that keep you warm, and make sure that thing does not break down. 
um, like they tend to do if you don't maintain them. So that and, and some more. We, we are still actively engaging the business community that uh, we have connections through. And so that's what you win yeah. um, if your name is drawn at the end of that quarter. Now, if there is no jackpot, if nobody hits the jackpot in the entire quarter, then every single person who bought a coffee card, their name is in the jackpot for the drawing. Oh, wow. So there will be a jackpot. This and it will be down. given away. It's going to happen. Yeah. So what are we going to do with the money from memberships? And Jason, what does a membership look like, you might ask? Well, you can go to our website. You can check that out. Click on the membership tab. But essentially, we'll just say there's, there's three ways you can be a member. You can be an individual member. You can have a household membership or family membership. And you can be an affiliate member, like if you have a business or if your church wants to become a member. And there's, there's benefits that are attached to each of those types of membership. So let's just take the household or family membership at the lowest tier. And there's three tiers in each of these classifications. So at the first tier, it's $300 for the year for a family. So what does that buy you? Well, it buys you two hours of use of the entire facility for your own private rental, your own private party. Normally that costs $100 an hour. So you've already gotten $200 worth of value back right away. Mm Mm-hmm. You also get all additional rentals for the remainder of the year at 20% off. So instead of $100 an hour, you pay $80 an hour. Uh, You also get premium access to our conference room. And your kids or you or whoever in your family is a gamer also gets two free hours, however you decide to split it up, every month for 12 months of scheduled time on our VR system, our virtual reality system. We have a pretty nice one. It's called the Valve Index, and that's courtesy of computer renaissance very cool so their uh rules and their franchise changed during covid and they were no longer able to use the valve in the store so they we have a good relationship with them and they offered to put that in our store so um that's all fun that's great i mean 25 bucks an hour for the vr you get two hours a month you get 24 hours a year you've got your 300 back uh, dollars back right now but maybe you don't like games or you don't want your kids on that stuff. Some people don't. And I understand why. So what else do you get? Well, if we can hit our goals, and uh, I did the crunch the numbers. We've got around 4,000 members. If we can get 150 household memberships, that is going to help us withstand the next government-induced economic crisis, which is coming, folks. It's going to help us pay for our rent for the next year. But it's also going to leave me enough money to bring four nationally known clean comics. And I'm going to source those through the library of the, that the Dry Bar Comedy folks have compiled of videos. That's a great way to find great comics. Oh, yeah. And so uh, we're going to bring a comic every quarter if we hit our goals. And uh, everyone who's a paid member gets premium access. That'll be cool. To those shows. Any additional shows that we do, they'll get 20% off if they're at that entry level for a family membership. They'll get 20% off of the show, plus they can bring a certain number of additional uh, folks with them, family, friends, whatever, who are not members or paid members at that same discount at 20% off. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on. Uh, There's all of our other programs. Our Band of Brothers Men's Fellowship is starting up again this October. Uh, that's on Wednesday nights from 6 to 9 p.m. 
Uh, so we're redeploying, as we're saying. Uh, we kind of suspended activities for the summer. Um, we've got our sportsmen's folks that meet in here uh, at 10 o'clock in the morning on Wednesdays. There's a bunch of guys that come and talk about their exploits in the woods and uh, politics and everything else that might come up in a conversation like that. About 15, 20 guys show up every Wednesday for that. Uh, there's a small group of... Uh, of seasoned citizens uh, that uh, affectionately call themselves the Foxy Grandmas, and that's more of a Bible study and a um, political conversation that happens Wednesdays, also later in the afternoon. Um, the Liberty Action AK group, uh, local activist group that uh, addresses and discusses issues of liberty, uh, they will commence again this fall. Uh, we have our regulars scheduled uh, Tuesday nights, with the Roots uh, Youth Group, that's a 7th through 12th grade, and that's open to anybody in the community within those ages that wants to come and hang out with a bunch of really awesome kids. Generally, between 50 to 100 kids come to that every single week. Wow. They've been great. doing that for four or five years now. And um, I was younger, I'd be there. Yeah, 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 right now you'd stick out. But uh, so, yeah, some interesting things happening. We're also partnering with local business and your boys. We're going to transition here, Bill. Your boys are budding entrepreneurs. Cute little guys. Three of them. Yes, sir. Three of them. William James and Andrew. So William James and Andrew approached uh, us, uh, I guess, a month ago about and um, they they had a proposal. They Mm -hmm. um, they they had a small business. Now, what are the ages? Uh, my youngest is three, Andrew, uh, my middle, he just turned, uh, seven and my oldest is eight. Um, he'll be turning nine here next month. Okay. So, so they came in and they had, uh, an idea. They, they noticed we didn't have a gumball machine. Well, we have one, but it's broken. And, uh, they said, Hey, we happen to have some candy machines, some vending machines. Could we run our small business in your space? And so now when you enter the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club, the first thing you'll notice right next to the doors is a double-barrel candy dispenser. Yes, sir. And uh, did it get fixed? It did. Okay. It did. <laughs> so Bill is learning the intricacies of clockworks and how, how to dispense candy because uh, one of the kids, actually one of my kids, discovered that if you just jiggled the handle a little bit, it would spit out M&Ms whether he had money or not. In, in traditional little boy fashion, he found the flaw. Yeah, yeah. Now, now to his credit, he came right to me and said, Dad, there's a problem as he's munching on M&M's. Oh, yeah. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. <laughs> he knew he needed to get paid for pro- uh, troubleshooting the, the problem in the machine. Absolutely. But uh, so check that out because uh, these little guys are well on their way to learning all about money and uh, product sourcing and consumer uh, relations and uh, working with third-party vendors, and uh, it's kind of neat to see that happen. Yeah. We also have uh, Cade McClellan has jumped in and uh, started doing some things in the shop. You'll notice right above those gumball machines that there is a, um, actually it's turned off right now, there's a, a rolling advertising uh, uh, screen now that highlights different things that nonprofits are doing in the community, like Freedom House and others and um, how you can partner with them. And uh, so we offered to have that here in the shop. He gives us a little bit of ad space on there as a thank you for, for doing that. Um, but uh, he's also going to be the one sourcing those, uh, those awesome chairs for us. So if you have a business idea and you'd like to partner with the social club, come in and check it out. And uh, maybe there's a good fit there. We want to raise 
the tide or, or, or I, I'm missing the metaphor, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships, something like yeah, that. I, I don't yeah. know. No, I appreciate the, the, the influence that you have within the community. Right. And, and that it isn't just about you and, and the coffee, right. You know, it's, it's really about the community and I really appreciate that you guys bring that to our community. Well, we're not the only ones. I appreciate the, the recognition, but uh, you know, there are other uh, community minded uh, businesses out there. The one that sticks out right away in my mind is Sweeney's. Oh yeah, you know uh, Sweeney's is uh, everybody knows the working man's store, but uh, Mr. Sweeney down there has been awesome. He's a good friend, and he really is kind of somebody that I look to for inspiration as, as how he has uh, interacted with the community. The many years he's been around, he's a Rotarian and uh, active member of his church and well respected, I think. And I I could only aspire to become. Uh, even even a small percentage like him. Um, but uh, speaking of other like-minded uh, businesses, um, we did have a business approach us and tell us that they're going to be building a new facility. And in that facility, there may or may not be, how would we say, a second amendment sporting center. <laughs> we want to make sure that the Bangladeshi sensors don't... Uh, throttle our podcast here but um they've asked us to consider co-locating with them uh that's all the details i can give right now uh when it happens where it happens if it happens that's all still up in the air they've uh, committed a considerable amount of money towards the project already but there as you know the government has its fingers in everything and uh you you basically the 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 stupidest question i ever asked myself was hey let's have create a coffee shop how hard can it be you would think that it wouldn't be that hard but even a coffee shop has mounds and mounds and piles of red tape that you have to go through speaking of red tape let's talk about the borough we'll just <laughs> go we'll just there. break that window right now so yeah. bill thank you for coming down yeah, my it's pleasure. uh about eleven twenty-four, so we got as much time as you'll give us it is the hour of power and uh, we'd like to go at least an hour so Next 35 minutes, let's talk a little bit about the borough and your position. When did you become an assembly member? Um, I've been on the assembly for uh, about a year and a half now, um, maybe cruising up on close to two years. Uh, it goes by pretty quick. And, uh, you know, I was uh, approached, uh, had no intentions or desires. In fact, the first time uh, a friend of mine, Norm uh, Blakely, he used to, he was my predecessor on the assembly. He knew that he was going to be leaving. Um, and he was asking around and trying to find some some replacements, and uh, and he was talking to a friend of mine, which is a mutual friend of ours, and and my name came up. And whenever they came back, I'm like, no, I'm good, thanks. Uh, being in the government is not my thing. Uh, but then whenever I started realizing what was going on uh, and how things were, and the fact that I really was kind of out of touch with what was actually going on with some of the local politics, um, I'm like you know. If I want to uh, complain about what's going on in our community, I should probably do something about it. And, and so I, I received some some advice that was along that lines uh, from my then teacher, uh, Bob Bird, who is also a radio personality and talk show uh, host. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I was actually complaining and he was I was within earshot. I was in his classroom and he said, Mr. Floyd, have you ever licked a stamp, knocked on a door? You know, I've said this, told this story many, many times. 
And essentially I said, no, no. And he said, well, then shut up, you know, essentially. I think he was kinder than that. But essentially what yeah. he said was, shut up. You, you, you really don't have a place from which to complain. If you're not going to actively seek to be part of the solution, if you're not going to do even the minimum things that our Constitution affords you the right to do to address your or uh, have the government address your grievances, mm-hmm. uh, then stop complaining. You know, and so talking about complaining, <laughs> I've had a number of people come into my office this week and complain. They've complained about the the state of the borough. And, you know, it's the political season. There's all sorts of things going on and uh, lots of very dynamic things like quick, rapid shifts in, in positions and power and all sorts of things. But the, the most recent news was some sort of uh, hushed up scandal at the uh, borough that may or may not have included uh, the illustrious mayor, Charlie Pierce, former mayor now, if I'm not mistaken. He is the mayor through basically the end of the month. Okay, the end of the month. So Charlie's mm-hmm. on his way out. and um, But the complaints weren't so much about Charlie. Mm-mm. Is They were more about what happened at the borough assembly and... Um, I was told that we went to bed with a mayor named Charlie and woke up with a mayor named Navarre. Yeah. I don't remember voting on that. Yeah. I, so I, tell I, us about that process. How do we go from having a mayor named Charlie to having a mayor no, named Navarre overnight? Uh, well, so, so Charlie uh, sent out a, a letter of resignation to the assembly, to legal, uh, so that he could saying that he was, you know, wanted to focus on his governor campaign and so that he would be stepping down basically at the end of the month. I'd have to look to get the, the exact date. And, um, and so we were working on, you know, the, the borough code hasn't been updated in the better part since the 70s, 80s, right in there. Uh, for since when the last uh, voter uh, list was updated. <laughs> yeah, that or one. purged maybe. Yeah, the yeah. dead people. I don't know. <laughs> we have a uh, the um, so anyhow. Uh, so the process wasn't very clear, and, and and really what it is is laws only make things illegal. They don't make things legal. When you're living in a country where you're free, the only thing that laws do is take away. And so the code that was on the books was aged. Uh, it didn't have processes really outlining any of it. And, and so it, it needed to be addressed. But what that does is that gives the assembly a lot of freedom to figure out how and when and what is going to be done. And so, so anyhow, Mayor Pierce put in his resignation. And then at this last assembly meeting on Tuesday, we were acknowledging or accepting, however you want to phrase it. But it's really an acknowledgement of the resignation and then a declaration or a proclamation of the fact that we won't have a mayor and that we're going to need to go into of a, a, uh, interim replacement and establish when we're going to do a special election to reappoint. You know, so you appoint and then you do a special election. And um, the timing isn't ideal because we're literally just a few weeks away from the borough election, which is in October. And so there's a lot of work that goes into that beforehand. So we were trying to kind of figure out the schedule and everything. Uh, Mr. Cox brought in a... um, That would be Tyson Cox? Tyson Cox. Assembly member? Assembly member Tyson Cox 
brought in a laydown. Remember that name, Tyson Cox, laydown. <laughs> he, he brought in a, a laydown. Uh, Quickly, to, for our listeners, define a laydown. So generally what happens, yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, generally what happens as part of the public process is so to get something in the packet and on the agenda and to do all of the public notice and process, we put all of the, uh, we have dates that we have to go through legal, then a date that it goes to the clerk's office, and then that makes the packet, which then makes the newspaper, the websites, all of the calendars, everything, all the traditional public hearing areas that we would have. Given that this is an appointment, it's kind of like a resolution, so we don't have, it only makes it to one assembly meeting. Uh, Normally on an ordinance, it would make it to two assembly meetings, one for public hearing, or uh, one for introduction, two weeks later for public hearing, and then that would be when we would vote on it. Now, let's talk about that last statement, Mm -hmm. public hearing. Why why do we have public hearings? We have public hearings so that uh, everybody in the community has the opportunity to know what's going on, and it's for transparency and and visibility into what is going on when you're self-governing. Now, the words public hearing... Mm -hmm can have two different meetings. The public can hear from their government, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the, it, it's a two-way street, right? Oh, yeah, it's bilateral. Yeah, so so then the government can hear from the people. Mm-hmm. I seem to recall that there's something in the state constitution that talks about this. There's a lot of stuff out there about this, yeah. Something along the lines of a government by the people, for, for the, the people, people, wholly derived from the authority given to it by the people. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so with the laydown, it with- sounds like there's a shortcut or, or like there's not the same type of timeline deployed that you normally would. Oh, yeah. It generally is for emergent. Um, if we don't do some kind of action now and we don't have, so uh, lull point. Right. When there was the landslide and everything, there was various, you know, uh, laydowns. And a lot of times you'll get contractual things where something got shuffled around in the paper. And it's just the normal business process of the borough. So it wouldn't necessarily, you know, it's important, but it may not necessarily be something that you would use that would, um, you know, on big issues, you give it the time. So. So we're talking like um, little point that was a natural disaster. Yeah, cut yeah. off a bunch of residents from services, uh, mm-hmm. access to emergency services, yeah. food, basic needs, health, welfare, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then you know um, sometimes you start moving forward with you know excavators or whatever, and then you worry about how it's going to get paid in a couple of weeks. And and that was, those are kinds of scenarios where you go and you take care of what business needs to be taken care of. To save, you know, life and and hardship and, and those sorts so, of things. So you mentioned we're headed into the election. So that's pending. That's coming mm-hmm. up. What is the role of the borough mayor in the electoral process, I guess? And in, in, does the borough mayor oversee uh, any of the, the processes surrounding the borough's elections? No, he's not involved at all. Okay. It's, uh, the, the clerks um, run the election um, and and really do all of it. Um, it's all overseen by the assembly, and so the assembly uh, does the code, um, does the 
um, acceptance and and you know stamp of approval on on what the clerks have done for for doing that and the election workers and so like myself um, I'm an election worker but not really from the capacity of an assemblyman um, but I'm the chair for the the Sterling precinct um, overseeing that particular election so laydowns generally should be used for only sparingly for only things that are uh, of a timely nature uh, and concerning issues of great need. Correct. Is that an accurate Correct. description? Yeah. Okay, so with that question, I'm laying sort of some groundwork for the next question. What emergency situation and issue of great need necessitated a laydown on the issue of uh, appointing a mayor that uh, required us to kind of shortcut that public hearing process and proper notification because as i understand it there was a very small enclave of people in the gallery who seemed to be there in support of of what this laydown talked about but generally folks like myself we we didn't know anything about what was going to happen or go down at that meeting we knew uh we'd heard the rumblings that charlie was leaving Mm -hmm. we assumed there'd be a special election and see that's probably my bad because uh you know uh, uh, somebody Uh, told me assumptions are like well we won't say what they're like but (laughs) we will make it more polite for the radio assumptions are like noses yeah they all smell yeah right yep so um uh, we should never assume anything. We should go straight to the source, know the details of what's going to go down. But um, so what was the great need? What was the emergency that necessitated a laydown to where we couldn't have a public hearing and public input into how our interim mayor would be selected? Personally, I didn't feel that there was any um, need to create the additional drama um, around doing any kind of like, oh, well, we've got to do this today. Um, the mayor is still in office through the next assembly meeting. Uh, we still have, you know, I mean, it'd be no different than the mayor taking a week or two for vacation. Uh, it happens all the time. There's really like the business is going to stay going. The the Mike Navarre, who's going to be coming in as a replacement. And, and none of this is anything that I have specifically against him. Uh, it's actually the process that I have an issue with. Um, I mean, I don't know that I would vote for Mike Navarre, but it, it's well, not I, about. I, I can tell you right now that I will not vote for Mike Navarre. Agreed. And and uh, I will tell you that that this was shocking for me to see a. A mayor who has generally been viewed in broad terms, now whether this is the reality of the fact or not is debatable, but has been generally viewed as a pretty um, sort of of middle-of-the-road, middle-right kind of uh, um, conservative official. Mm -hmm. That that he's been, he's, uh, he's... at least he's claimed to be fiscally conservative and um, to be money conscious and not just, you know, letting the public treasury burn a hole in his pocket and throwing money in every direction and raising taxes and all these different things, which he will be the first to say, I didn't let your property taxes get raised, even though your property values doubled or tripled in the last, you know, five years. But we won't talk about that right now. The the, the issue I have is that they we took a, uh, a mayor who was selected by the people who comes from this more conservative philosophy or school of thought. And we put somebody like Mike Navarre in. Mike Navarre was, we didn't put him in, you put him in. I Actually, didn't you didn't. In. You were one of two votes that voted against him on that assembly. But the assembly put him in. Mm-hmm. And Mike Navarre was the man holding 
Gary Knopp's jacket. Mm-hmm. Literally, it was biblical. <laughs> I was at the meeting, standing behind, standing backstop as as Gary Knopp's support. And I would uh, imagine the the people that were at the the assembly were probably the same people that were sitting along the wall at that meeting with Gary Knopp supporting him. There's about twelve of them. Um, but that was the meeting in which Gary Knopp told people, uh, you know, I didn't lie. It was just a little sleight of hand. Yeah, right. Right, right. And, and at that meeting, it was his group that called the police in immediately yeah. because they were so f- afraid of what the constituents would do, you know, because uh, we were calling him to account for his lies and saying he was conservative and then aligning himself with the Democrats and making this Democrat coalition, all the while having Mr. Navarre standing behind him, very obviously one of his chief supporters. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and that kind of goes about sort of the issue that I have here. I even, even with that, my issues with Knopp, it's not necessarily with Navarre, even though he was in the background and stuff. Um, but I agree with you. Uh, He's aligned with you're the political going, philosophy. You're going from from right to left. The, the, the pendulum is swinging on this, and 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 then it's a significant difference. Um, my preference would have been to to appoint someone um, that would be politically neutral, um, and I, 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 it's a political position, so I wouldn't want. So so let's back up just a moment, um, Mister Rogers. There you go. <laughs> we need Mr. Rogers. Where is Mr. Rogers yeah. when we need him? Yeah, you know, you know, a good neighbor. Somebody to keep the lights on, keep business going, and and just Hey, somebody like Pete Sprague. There you go. Pete Sprague's a nice guy, <laughs> you know. I mean he became but, the mayor. Yeah, but somebody <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. We're we're gonna have too much fun with this. Yeah. Um So so to go back there really wasn't anything that needed to, to be urgently bypassed in this process. Um, there's some claims out there that the, the borough employees and staff needed stability. And I'm, I'm sure there were a few that, that probably wanted some stability, you know, not knowing quite what was going on. But, but in general, it's a couple of week vacation. All right. Um, and, and even if we didn't make it till the second or third, it's a state of flux. Even bringing in a new executive, it doesn't matter. Everything is changing. So people are, are you know, there's a lot of people who don't like change. Now, you know, here's my concern mm-hmm. is the word incumbent. There is this idea, and it's, it's more than an idea. It's something that political scientists talk about, and I should know a little bit about that. I That's mm-hmm. what I my degree's in is... I don't claim to be anything special other than, you know, I was educated at a public, you know, university that tried its darndest for four years to indoctrinate me into becoming a liberal. But uh, this idea that that the incumbency, the power of the incumbency is tremendous. That's why this uh, Pertola uh, 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 win mm-hmm. for the um, the emergency sort of uh, election Mm -hmm. to replace Congressman Don Young Mm -hmm. has a lot of people concerned, but because she's only going to serve what four months before the new term starts. And hopefully people have figured out that you do need to rank in your area of conservativeness or, or however you're wanting to vote 
if you're but but not letting those votes go and saying like I don't want to play the game, we're just going to lose. Well, and and that brings me to another point. We we when I asked you to come on the show, we were having a conversation just catch the listeners up to this idea that Alaska is a red state. Yeah. Uh, you know, so everybody's heard Charlie say rank red, rank red. Mm-hmm. Charlie's he's not the only one saying it. The no, whole Republican group is. Right, right. But they don't actually mean it. Mm-mm. And here's, here's where I defend that statement. Charlie's supporters in this district. Now, full disclosure, I'm a precinct leader. I don't know how much longer that's going to last because uh, Charlie's supporters are actively trying to get me removed uh, as a precinct leader. But Charlie's supporters... When Christopher Kirka, another Republican who was running for governor, uh, threw his hat into the ring, and, and I believe Christopher actually said he was running for go- governor before Charlie did. I believe he did. And uh, threw his hat in the ring. He, he came to the districts, and he asked for their endorsement. Mm-hmm. He also asked for the endorsement of the state party. Now, Christopher Kirka is about as socially conservative as one can get and as fiscally conservative as one can get. He's a constitutionalist. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a pro-life champion. And uh, I've heard him described as as or more conservative than David Eastman, but less abrasive. I mean, that's sure. what I've heard from rhinos who are trying to defend, you know, what the what the minority caucus did to Eastman this last legislative session when they kicked him out of the caucus. So it's sort of a snub at Christopher that uh, you're just like Eastman, but less abrasive. You're more likable, but we don't really like you. Mm-hmm. And the Republican Party in this district voted not to give him an endorsement. And the Republican Party at the state level voted not to give him an endorsement. And so it's awful hard to rank the red when you take one of the reddest candidates there is and you refuse to give him an endorsement. And I have contended all along that Charlie uh, in his, and I know this steps out of the realm of borough affairs and into the realm of campaigns Mm -hmm. at the state level, but that he has been a Dunleavy wingman, that he never really intended to run a serious race. Uh, He's been on several vacations. Um, He has been basically absent from all of the big meetings. He didn't come to any of the the annual meetings for the districts. Uh, I went to to at least the two local ones. I went to the district meeting in Nikiski, which is your district, Mm -hmm. uh, which encompasses Sterling and Kasilov, I believe, part part of it. He didn't show up to that. Uh, Christopher Kirka did. Yeah, he spoke. Um, and uh, I went to the one in Kenai, which was held the same day, and that was for Kenai Soldatna. Christopher Kirka spoke there. Charlie didn't. It's his own borough, and he didn't make it to the meetings. He didn't bother to go to the one in Homer either. I think uh, his running mate did, if I remember correctly. But um, So he's bas- been basically absent. Now, at the in the 11th hour... He says he's leaving the borough to focus on his campaign. But it appears that that's not necessarily the full reason why he's left the borough. Now, there's been speculation that the Alaska landmine uh, has uh, written a piece on this. You can go read it on Jeff Landfield's uh, blog, uh, the Alaska landmine um, He's uh, probably Alaska's closest version to, to um, oh, one of those classic... Uh, he likes to dig. Yeah, yeah. We'll just stop there. So he digs until he hits things that explode. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's the landmine. Um, but uh, 
so anyway, there was some some assertions that there's some scandal involving the the mayor. Whether or not that's the case, we won't know necessarily because uh, the borough has taken a position. Give me the the give me the the scripted response that every member of the assembly has to say when asked the question, was there impropriety in the borough concerning the mayor's office? The scripted response you gave me the other day. (laughs) Um, Basically, we don't really have an official response about, you know, the the various allegations and stuff and and stuff that's going around. Um, But... When my, my favorite was that we can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny. Oh, yeah, there's, yeah, there. You know, the, the, the same thing that uh, that FBI agent told uh, uh, Senator Rand Paul um, when he was asking about all kinds of impropriety and at the FBI. Yeah, and generally <laughs> the questions we get are about the executive sessions. And so with the executive session stuff, we really... We really can't discuss any of it, but generally what happens is is if there's something of a nature where there's a, a chance that any kind of um, litigation or risk could come to the borough, um, particularly of a financial nature, um, the legal counsel comes to us. And so if somebody slips and falls in the, in the borough, uh, they come to us, and it's usually in an executive session, and then we have a conversation about it, and then we give them some guidance on on how to proceed with whatever those litigation type risks are, and that that tends to be what those sessions are about. Well, and litigation happens generally when there's uh, somebody who has been negligent, or uh, and has not fulfilled a responsibility they legally have to preserve uh, the public safety. Or in this case, I would argue public trust. Um, and it's in that negligence, whether it's gross or um, uh, where they just did it out of, you know, just just uh, conceit or pride or I refuse to do it, you know, whatever, pound sand. Or, or if they've actively done something that's not in a negligent manner, but more in a criminal manner. Um, at some point, there has to be public accountability because... In a government of, for, and by the people, the people that we elect and the people that they hire are ultimately our employees. And, and we elect you to be our assembly member to go into these executive sessions. We understand that, you know, there's details and things that don't necessarily need to come out. But when it affects my pocketbook, if the... If the borough has taxation authority to take money out of my pocket to fund its operations, and, and then in the process of funding its operations, it does something criminal or negligent, mm-hmm. we should know about that. And, and that's my view. Yeah, I I agree that 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 would be the scenario, right? Um, there are there are other times, right? Whenever it's like, let's say it's got. Um, federally protected say HIPAA type information right you know or or if it is a litigation and and we're discussing stuff that could be you know cause problems for the person or problems for the borough 
from from that perspective. And so it's generally all around actually trying to save that money. Um, and it's inevitable. The stuff comes out whenever there's a financial nature around it. Um, it just takes longer to get through that process. And so let so, me let me ask you this general question. Generally speaking, not associated with any individual incident or allegation, but just in a general sense, if there was something that occurred in the borough uh, and was uh, perpetrated or committed by a borough employee while on the clock that arose to the level of a criminal nature and criminal investigation, would it be fair to say that that would be one of the issues that would be taken up in an executive session and would not necessarily be out like, there. Like if it was criminal meaning any, any kind of any, any kind of act that would fall under the criminal code of, you know, um, prohibited activities, whether that was embezzlement or assault oh, or yeah. any of that stuff know. would start an executive session. But if it, if there's something of a criminal nature or, or any of that kind of stuff, um, it starts there, and, and that kind of stuff has it, that takes time, right? So you you'll have a couple of meetings, just like you would with, you know, an investigation, right? You know, you get arrested by the police. Well, you're presumed. I mean, it used to be this way anyway. Yeah. You're presumed innocent until proven guilty, exactly. unless you get swatted and they carry you off and then ask questions after you've been in jail That's for a when year. It's real high chance that you're guilty, <laughs> um, unless you were at January sixth. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but but yeah, and so in, in the scenario of of you know, let's say uh, we provide the same executive sessions over things that happen at the school district. So if there's a child that's involved with something that goes into some kind of litigation, and then that has to go before our attorneys, and our attorneys are needing help figuring stuff out, that doesn't go. It, that always goes into executive session. So, right. and, and that's to protect the privacy of the child. Um, that's also to protect, you know, all of those that are involved. And so, so these executive sessions can be significant, um, but it's inevitable that unless it's something that truly requires, you know, uh, long-term sealing of court documents and that kind of stuff, it, it, inevitably comes out if there's money because the money has to get approved through the assembly through the public process and then that is when that happens but it, it's just generally not an overnight um process so talking about the process uh we have a, a special session that's been called and i've pulled up that uh that agenda and this is for september the 11th mm -hmm. so that's t yeah tomorrow that's uh tomorrow Wow. September the 11th. Mm -hmm. Famous day. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting to look at this agenda. Um, it's pretty succinct and brief. It's a, it's a page and a tad. Mm -hmm. And I'll just read it here just because it's so short. Yeah. So there's the call to order, the Pledge of Allegiance, the roll call, the approval of the agenda, and new business. Mm-hmm. Under new business, items one and two. There are only two items mm -hmm. at this point, unless there's a laydown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not anticipating any laydowns, but I've been surprised before. Uh, number one, discussion regarding release of internal HR investigation report. Clerk's note, 
an executive session may be called. It qualifies. Number two, discussion regarding disclosure of items discussed in executive session on August the 23rd, 2022. Mm-hmm. Then there's time for, and it says again, clerk's note, an executive session may be called. So you can guarantee it's likely this will all be executive session. I'm anticipating some executive session, yes. Yeah. Then there's time for public comment mm-hmm. to talk about all the things that they have not been able to hear, see, or participate in. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's assembly comments, which will probably be we can neither confirm nor deny that anything was ever discussed about anything in executive session. And then we'll have a nice little adjournment, and uh, then they talk about the next meeting. So, there have been allegations launched against, lodged against the mayor, at least from, or, or let's not say allegations, let's say there have been uh, statements asserted through the media suggesting that there's scandal, something involving the borough mayor. I'm not going to put you on the hot seat because I know you can't say anything. But what I will say is that as a former investigator myself, mm-hmm. and I investigated some pretty heinous things, that generally speaking, when somebody is accused of something that they have not done, they emphatically shout from the rooftop what injustice has been served upon them. And with with, uh, um, I want to use a fancy word here. I'm probably going to use it wrong or say it wrong. Incredulity? I like that. Yes, incredulity. With deep, deep, incredulous, right? They're mm. incredulous. Mm. With, with deep disdain and, disre- and, and, and disgust mm-hmm. at the even thought that somebody would... Uh, associate them with an act that is either heinous, distasteful, illegal, unethical, whatever, right? That uh, when accused falsely, people generally are indignant and they will speak up and speak loud. But in my experience as an investigator, what caused me pause oftentimes, and generally there was a there there when I observed this, when somebody was faced with an accusation like that, if they tried to soft shoe the accusation, say, "Well, I, I would never do that." Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. come on, you know me. Or they might even say, "No, no, I didn't. I didn't hit him with a lead pipe." <laughs> you know, I may have brushed him with a a a, a piece of plumbing um, when I was walking through the door and I didn't notice him standing there. But no, I didn't. I didn't. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, that, that begs the question for more questions. And um, when somebody is emphatically out there screaming, no, I didn't do something, um, it's a lot easier to believe that there's no, no there there. Now, we saw with the Me Too movement, the system abused and weaponized against public officials. Brett Kavanaugh uh, believe, being one of them, I, I believe he was innocent, whether or not you do. That's up between that's between you and uh, the higher power, but um, we'll just say God. <laughs> I'm good with that. Uh, but uh, we live in a nation, at least we used to, where uh, a person was presumed innocent until proven guilty. Um, but 
to say that you're innocent, it does require the person who's accused at some point to, I mean, the Constitution affords them the right not to speak. Mm -hmm. But given the opportunity, most people who are innocent want to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that has been very interesting in this issue with Charlie is crickets. We've heard crickets. And I'm not quite sure when Charlie's going to take to the podium and defend himself, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Now, earlier in the year, Charlie made a point to get a special uh, allowance from Must Read Alaska to publish an op-ed where he came out and said, there's been a lot of rumors flying around about me and a prior situation with my ex-wife where uh, the police were called, a domestic violence or domestic disturbance complaint. And, um, and there was even a conviction. But, uh, and I was quick to note, I responded actually to that story and said it, it seems that um, the only one talking about this is Charlie Pierce because I think it was something in the woodpile that he knew would come up at some point in his campaign. And so rather than wait for it to naturally aspirate through the system, uh, he was just going to force inject it, you know, uh, use that fuel injector to throw it in the engine, burn it up, get it out of the system. And nobody, nobody, there's nothing to talk about because we've already covered that. And, um, he was very quick to defend himself. And it was not the first time that that issue came to the public's attention. Actually, I believe it was his opponent, Miss uh, uh, Hutchings, who was running for borough mm-hmm. mayor, who brought her campaign, brought that up as an issue, and he had to defend himself previously. And so it wasn't new information, but he's out there beating a, a, a drum saying, I didn't do something bad. And uh, he even had some kind of statement from his wife, ex-wife, that said, huh, it was just a big misunderstanding. Well, at the time, it wasn't so small of a under- misunderstanding that she didn't feel she needed to call the cops. Now, controversy at the borough with Charlie is not a new thing. Back in 2019, the borough paid $150,000 in a settlement. I'm, I'm reading this, so correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I read this uh, the other day that they paid a settlement uh, to a woman who was an employee at the borough who had informed Charlie she had been diagnosed with cancer and somehow at some point she got fired or let go. And the borough ended up paying out a settlement of around $150,000. Well, that's my money. Mm-hmm. That's your money. Uh, and, and Charlie was in charge of the borough at the time. And so um, I guess we won't know until we know. Yeah, so the um, campaign strategy, the the various things that that Charlie's been doing um, in his in his campaign for governor, I've I've honestly not been tracking it super close. I've uh, been pretty busy with with various things, like you say, the Alaska summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of this stuff has come up before in the past, um, and I w- the the stuff with um, the settlement that happened in 2019 that was actually before my time on the assembly or right as my time on the assembly started. Um, and, and so I really, I mean, I think you've got 
kind of the numbers and, and various things there fairly accurate. I, I'd have to go and look. I don't have any of those numbers in front of me, and we, we see a lot of those. Those big packets are large. Mm-hmm. But but this is it, it all sounds fairly accurate. Um, as far as uh, his defense on, on those various things, yeah, those are those are public. Um, that's, it's all public dollars. Uh, so I'd like to see Charlie come out and say I didn't do it. I'd like to see Charlie just personally. I'd like to, him to come out and with that that same passion that he displayed on Must Read earlier this year, step up to the microphone and say, "I didn't do it." If he's innocent, you know, he, if he's not innocent, yeah, then maybe he shouldn't be in a public position. If he, you know, I mean, if if allegations, if there are allegations of wrongdoing, and we won't get into what that wrongdoing was, but any kind of wrongdoing. When when you work in the government, you're held to a higher a high standard because yeah, you represent absolutely. the people's trust and the people's will. And if you don't perform at that high standard, you lose the people's trust and the will, and that undermines the very fabric of the government and its legitimacy to rule in the first place. Mm-hmm. And this man is seeking the highest office in the state. He wants to become governor. And now we have this, it's kind of an early November surprise, right? <laughs> it, it happened in uh, yeah. August. An yeah. August surprise. Yeah, and and see that's that's one of the the areas there where um, the assembly isn't a courtroom. It's not it's not the judge. It's not the uh, the jury. Um, you know, so we we go over really the financial and and liability type items uh, that happen there, and so we we make the decisions based off of that, and so. When you talk about due process and, and various things, um, to get into anybody's anything, you know, um, I can't really comment on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I, I would like to. I would like to think that the people sitting in that on that dais there alongside you um, would actually consider people like myself uh, in the borough, the folks who vote. Mm-hmm. Um, before they make decisions to place uh, folks into high position, like Mike Navarre has now been placed oh, into, into high position. And, and um, it's okay to say it's a nonpartisan job, because that's what they say, right? It's a, it's a nonpartisan position. It's, it's officially not a, classified that yeah, way. Yeah, we're not Republican, we're not Democrat, but you and I know, and everybody else knows, that that's not oh, yeah, I how it works. Several Republican endorsements uh, during my campaign, yeah. and I am a registered Republican, but that doesn't show up on the ballot. On the ballot. Um, I can put it in the book. That that snipping that they put in there uh, is, is very available for anybody to put anything you want as a right. candidate in there. You can say you're a Republican. The, the reality, though, is, is that uh, we're not uh, electing... Um, Everything's just uh, just a uh, uh, neutral observers to the position. We're electing people who have made promises, who have mm-hmm. taken positions on how they're going to manage the public trust and the public treasury and uh, for the benefit of us all. And um, and in this in this case, you know, like we said, we have kind of night and day candidates, different people. Mm-hmm. Charlie is not Mike and Mike is not Charlie. Oh, absolutely. And you not. can listen to Mike every week on KSRM. Mm hmm. You know, he's been given that platform to espouse his political ideas and ideals, and they are contrary to uh, a conservative platform. Well, and then the, the 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 harsh reality about it is, is a person can say whatever they want to say until they get into that office. 
once they're in that office, they have all of the authority to do whatever they want to do within the parameters of that, that position. So when you appoint somebody, they can say, oh, I have no intentions of doing anything outside of the normal parameters. I just want to keep the business going, keep the lights on. And it's based off of, of trust of that individual to do that. And that, that's one of the challenges, in my opinion, to doing an appointment when there's somebody who is a, it truly is a political uh, person. Right. Now, with this lay down, and we're getting long here, so you just give me the sign when you got to go. I could go for days. Yeah, whenever. <laughs> yeah, I <agree>. But <laughs> this is a podcast. We, we're not constrained by commercial breaks and, you know, mm-hmm. bumpers and, you know, other shows coming on. But um, when – talk just briefly about how Mr. Navarre's name was presented. How, how – what did that look like? I wasn't at the meeting. Oh, yeah. So um, – at 12.30-ish, uh, we got an email, like we always do, announcing you know a list of the laydowns that are going to be happening. I skimmed over it, so I saw what was on that whenever that email came in because I, I've been blindsided before on some of this. That was when I saw that, that Mike Navarre was going to be brought in with the potential of being appointed that night. Um, so, so we got that in at 12.30. We started committee which we have at one o'clock we started talking about gravel pits and and all of the ordinances (laughs) and stuff that go along with that and and the whole Hatfields and McCoys thing showed up and so we were in that for a couple of hours I know actually both the Hatfields and the McCoys yeah and and they tend to show up here too yeah no absolutely (laughs) absolutely so so you go through that for you know a, a couple of hours and then you've got uh the finance committee that, that meets right after that, where we're going through everything that's in the packet for every little financial decision. And so uh, to give some context for people who haven't maybe been to an assembly meeting, our packets average five or 600 pages, um, upwards of 1,000 to 1,500 pages. Like these are some giant packets that we have to go through that material in a two-week span. So the subjects and the width and the depth that we go through at an assembly meeting would bore most people. To uh, but death. you get paid for it. Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. It's like three or 400 bucks. I don't know. It's like, a, it's a volunteer position. I spend more doing this kind of stuff <laughs> trying to get a freak up a coffee. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, so, so we go in and we do all of this. So you get the lay down and then that was brought up in policies and procedures, I believe was the one. And, and Lane Chesley, is, is the chair over that. And so then um, Tyson spoke to the laydown that he was bringing for the appointment. Um, Mike came up, did a quick introduction to tell people who he was. There was a, a resume and a... Oh, he had a resume, huh? Oh, yeah, he had his resume there. Hmm. Um, and there was probably... I wonder if he just keeps a copy of that in his back pocket for moments when there might be laydowns. You know, you never know when a laydown's going to happen. You got to be prepared. I keep waiting for the big laydown. Uh, maybe I should keep my resume handy. Because you never know when the you big laydown is going to happen. You never know. And we had received, actually, several emails to the whole group of us uh, from some folks. Uh, there was one guy that wrote in saying that he wanted um, Kelly Cooper to be appointed. Uh, we had received an email from um, James Baisden saying he would like to be appointed. Um, Tyson uh, uh, 
I'm not sure exactly how he was contacted mm-hmm. or what the process was, but he said that he had been approached by several people that had told him and Mike's name kept coming up and, and that that was why he was just like, this is the best man for the job. And, you know, which is Tyson's opinion. Um, he, he brought that out. And then as soon as the, it was ready, I had my finger on the button to say, why are we doing this as a lay down and what's the rush on this? And can't it wait um, for some public process? Um, I realize we don't have a procedure and policy in place for how we're going to do this, but we can do exactly the same thing have an email of interest and a resume from anybody who wants to be appointed and give it a couple of weeks and then put it in. And we can go through at least some some type of process. Maybe it's not the best process, but we could have some kind of process. Um, there wasn't any support for that. Everybody kept talking about how emergent this needed to be. Richard Durkvorkian and I were the two who consistently said, no, we're this is this is not the right way to do this. There isn't a, a reason to do this. The borough, it almost it almost feels like like what they did in Anchorage <laughs> when when another mayor uh-huh. had to leave office and the they just made up rules. They were like, "Ah, oh, we're just going to skip the whole special election and we're just going to appoint this activist assembly member to be the interim mayor." Yeah. You know, it's, it, it just it just it just smacks of of insider baseball mm-hmm. cronyism, the good old boy or good old girl network, whichever it is. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I've been here since my daddy's daddy's daddy first <laughs> bought slaves to plow the land. You know, it seems like this very backwards Hazard County kind of, you know, where the judge is the jury and the executioner and his uh, cousin is the sheriff. Yeah. So, so there was enough, there's enough code and statute out there to say that if there's more than a year left on the term, you have to have a special election. Um, So if it was, but if if not, you can just uh, put cousin Cletus in. If it's, (laughs) yeah, if it's 11 months and two weeks, you can put pretty much whoever you want. in. I I think that is uh, Mike Navarre's new name on the show is cousin Cletus. (laughs) I, um, <laughs> I, I uh, where is my Dixie uh, horn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing I am I am working on um, is outlining a, a procedure and getting some code put around how we do a mayor appointment. I, I'm already working on that. I've reached out to legal to find out what we can do to to make sure that this doesn't happen in the future. At least there will be a process procedure that's codified on how this goes on now um, let's let's talk about that i mean you were able to put together something we talked about dominion the other day uh just a little bit um you were able to put some some guiding uh, sort of some a fence some fences mm-hmm. up to say hey we're if we're going to be using this system at least we need to have some some boundaries yeah yeah there there really isn't a lot of of rules around the use of of technology in general or even Who's going to guard the rice bowl if we're using whatever we're using? And so, uh, so yeah, we were able to put together so a whole chapter of election security uh, and integrity type documentation together. Now, to, can the borough mayor do the same thing? No. The borough mayor is executive line, and he doesn't write code. Um, now, department directors uh, can put together what they would consider an ordinance and get it in the packet. 
And ultimately, it is the assembly that puts that or approves that. So we write the laws. He enforces it. Now, but the mayor does have influence over the, the bureaucracy. Oh, yeah. And, and oh, so, yeah. so policy can become law, mm-hmm. um, sort of percolating up the other direction exactly. through the department. In the absence of law, they can make policy. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so just, just, and we'll go ahead and close on this note. Uh, uh, when you were putting that packet together, and I want to bring this to uh, Lieutenant Governor Meyer, you, you made a statement that I, I want to touch back on for our listeners, the benefit of our listeners, because I think it was a very poignant one. But, but when all the concern about the Dominion machines and the borough's use of those came up uh, following the last presidential election, um, you did some research. You did, you're an IT guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you reached out to the office, the Division of Elections, and to the, to the lieutenant governor's office itself mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Um, well, so in the process of, of doing that, I mean, so we use Dominion systems um, here in the borough, um, but everybody in the state uses them. Uh, the state uses it. All of the various boroughs and municipalities use it. And to my, to best of my knowledge, you know, everybody in Alaska uses that system. Now, does the borough have the choice not to use it? Or? Yes, yes okay. we do. All right. So that's an important point to make. Mm-hmm. So yeah, go ahead. A- and... You know, I, you, in, in fairness, you know, uh, we had the, the Dominion systems going in. We had an ACLU battle going on over whether or not we were in compliance. We had lost several litigation battles about it. So the last thing I want to do is spend more borough money not, you know, giving it to the ACLU. Um, so if we if, if people want to go to a different system, I would be fully supportive of changing that system. Um, but I wouldn't just change it to any system because I would have parameters on whether or not these things have access to the internet. Our systems do not. Now I can't say that that's the way it is for everybody else out there. Our systems, they do not have wireless in the borough, in the borough, only for the borough. So this could be different in Anchorage. Yeah. A state election that is handled on borough property, you know, in the borough, Right, so like the the stuff for your house or senate or presidential elections, all of those, none of that is within my purview. Only assembly, mayor, service areas are the are the same machines used. No, no, the same. So, there there are technologies that are shared with the state. The state owns the boxes that the machines go on mm-hmm. and you know to get into the details of who owns which piece of technology and everything. I'm just concerned about the one that can connect to Wi-Fi. Ours cannot connect to Wi-Fi. Right. So, so in, a, in a state election, does a state actually bring their own yes, computer in? Yes, their own computer. And that one could be attached. Th- so let's talk about your conversation with Lieutenant Governor Meyer. <laughs> um, well, so I, I, I did have uh, some conversations with the Division of Elections, with uh, Lieutenant Governor Meyer, with, with various other folks. Uh, and, and in general... Um, my, what, what, what portion of the, of the conversation? <laughs> well, you had made a, you had made a statement about how grandpa can't open his, uh, <laughs> his, uh, his cell phone. And we, a... and we have entrusted the integrity of our now largely computerized, if not completely computerized yeah. election system to people who 
might have trouble turning on their laptop. Yeah, I, I, my general feeling is is that we have a relatively complex um, election system. When you start getting into computerized election systems, regardless of any of them, um, there's a certain level of technical aptitude that needs to be. Now, my day job is IT. That that's how I pay the bills. I've been doing it for years, decades at this point, longer than I probably want to acknowledge, um, but. There's a certain technical aptitude where, you know, I, you need to understand how these machines work. You need to understand the difference between wireless and modems and USB plugs and what these little panels and stuff are all doing, iPads and technology. In general, election workers, I don't feel... Chain of custody. Chain of custody. All that. Yeah, I think they, that, that election people in general actually understand the chain of custody and the auditing process of physical things uh, very well. I, I definitely would feel very comfortable with that. But when you start getting into scanners and wireless or network connections versus telephone connections and you know the eight-wire plug versus the six-wire plug... What happens when you plug a USB into the back? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And there's a difference between the port providing power and the port port taking data, or whether or not there needs to be a locked panel over that. Uh, so yeah, there it's a it's a very technically challenging area, and so I think that, um, in my opinion, unless you have paid staff doing this. Uh, there's there's an edge of technology that's probably a little too technical for for most of the folks involved. It tends to be a, a, an older crowd that does challenge have challenges with how to use a smartphone, or you know they make the the crazy comments on Facebook because they didn't realize that they were making a comment. And, well, and you know i i don't I don't work in that system every day. And if let's say I was a volunteer or I was uh, hired just to be part of the you know a polling place. Um, and that was the one time I was in, in that position. It wasn't my day job. You know, I just, mm-hmm. that was my good turn for the year. I would go and sit and be a poll watcher or poll mm-hmm. worker or whatever. Um, and somebody with uh, an IT uniform on, mm-hmm. you know, skinny jeans and... Uh, I don't have skinny <laughs> jeans. <laughs> well, I think the first word in the definition right. of the jeans defines who can wear them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't wear them either. You're not wrong. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm talking about. I you do. know, some millennial looking guy with uh with the IT glasses on yeah. and, and and the uh the GQ haircut and <laughs> yeah. and and the fancy piece of hardware is you know the two thousand dollar laptop under his arm mm-hmm. came trotting in and with a badge and said Hey, uh, I'm here to uh, secure the uh, server. I'm here to uh, make sure the flux capacitor is properly feeding the uh, the neutrons to the, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> say something completely out of my wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, okay, do I make this a thing? Yeah. Or do I just trust that this is the guy who's supposed to be doing the thing and that this is necessary and that he's not in here doing something to the system? So. So I think you hit on kind of a couple of things there. I think election workers, uh, most people don't realize the difference between an election worker and a poll watcher. A poll right. watcher isn't an election worker and they do not have access to any of the systems. And so generally speaking, poll watchers tend to have a, a, a political bias uh, going into it. I mean, we all do it some shape, form, or fashion. Not me. Um, I'm completely neutral. Oh, I know. I know. Same here. <laughs> I, nothing to see. <laughs> I um, have to use this. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it just keeps going. Oh yeah, you know. but 
uh, uh, an election worker should be very skeptical and not allow anybody to come in and not trust anybody that like that should be the nature of that you know and and so if there isn't some known um person right you know and it's not just an id badge of somebody that that comes in and says i'm from the borough and i'm here to help like that's not the case this needs to be somebody that you know is coming through from the clerk's office who specifically has access to the system and really that would be you know a phone call that you're already getting some form of, of validation of who that person is and so um i know that it at my election site, I'm very skeptical of anybody who comes in and we're watching all of that and, and making sure that it, that we're running a fair election. And I believe that in general, the borough elections that we have here, um, the clerk's office does a really good job with that. They, they are, they do take it serious, but as far as the state election goes, I can't speak to any of that because I really don't have any visibility into it. The fact that, um, that they're doing the work that they're doing. Um, I, I probably would be a little bit skeptical. There was data breaches and stuff that had happened and 125,000 names under Myers administration that they just happened to neglect to tell us until after the election was certified. The fact that that data was internet accessible and that, (laughs) that that tells me enough to say that it isn't ran anything like our election. Well, I'm sure that, Mr. Myers believed that there was somebody within his department who was hired to make sure that mm-hmm. that the uh, the ether on the wires was mm-hmm. uh, was remaining, you know, secure. Yeah. Ours is all visible. You can see it in wire cage around the room. It doesn't leave the room. It's color coded. Yeah. It's like it's there and it's behind lock and key. That said, we have paper ballots. If we have a problem, we know something didn't go the way that that should have gone. Like there was some kind of extreme swing. You know, if all of a sudden Homer voted 100% Republican, I would have an issue with it. <laughs> it could Sterling, happen. It if, could happen. Yeah. If Sterling <laughs> voted 100% Democrat, I would have an issue with it. Like we would want to do a count. And we can do a hand count because we have the paper ballots there. So my whole thing is I don't trust any of the technology. I want processes and procedures and people that I, you know, that we can go. I want dual key, you know, custody of the vault that holds all the money, right? No one person should have. Kind of like uh, the launching of the the nukes. You got to have two guys with keys. You got to have two. Like, you know, I mean, right. So chains of custody, I want to understand the process and the procedure around it so that we're, we're in a spot. Because, I mean, honestly... I can't say that I trust any of that technology any better because it's a database, it's a server at the end of the day. So whoever prints and makes the scanner, that's just a way of counting the beads that are in the jar. I want to know who's got the jar and and where's that at and how are we making sure that's protected. And, you know, vendors are going to come and go. So I wouldn't support Dominion. I'd like to see Dominion go, I would personally. To, yeah, you know, they're, they're too far down the road of, of the... Of the public, it could have been any vendor. The, but you know, Vico used to be a thing too. They're gone now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? And there so, was a big scandal about Vico, and they just ceased to exist. I think at this point, Dominion is too far down the road. So, so we have Dominion in our in our system. We don't have a desire across the assembly to change any of that. So, I'm not. I mean, writing some ordinance to try to change all of that, it's just going to cost everybody a million well, bucks. Well, what, what I would love to see, mm-hmm. this is just my two cents, mm-hmm. 
which doesn't buy you anything these days. Not really. I yeah. think actually two cents is you a negative amount. Get, you can't even get a gumball. <laughs> no, no. Um, is that is that you know in the borough? What, what was the last number you heard for our population for the borough? Uh, fifty-eight thousand. Fifty-eight thousand. Yeah. So in a in a place of fifty-eight thousand people, we should be able to do a hand count of every borough election. Yeah. Uh, you know, and if you want to get into the state and the, the presidential elections, I would argue we could even do that. Well, so that's that is managed by the state and our our clerk assists with some of that. But, but you have you have nothing to do with that. So mm-hmm. let's just talk about the borough. Yeah. I would love to see the borough go to a hand count. I would love to yeah. love to see it. if the if the nation of France can do a, ha- a hand count, then then the nation of uh, the Kenai Peninsula uh Boy, wouldn't that be a scary yeah. thing if we yeah, were our right. own? We're big enough to be a nation, but Physic- uh, physically, we don't have the population. But but if 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 uh, if the borough of uh, the the Kenai Peninsula went to a hand count, we should be able to Ooh, do that. So so here's here's maybe this a little bit fuel for the fire. I don't mean to to mm-hmm. stoke it here, but at the last election, now a mayor election that year. So that the year I was elected was a, a mayor election mm-hmm. um i received about 1400 votes out of the 7600 people in my district um that was a mayor election uh so i was under what the mayor would have been but that's sterling and funny river so that's multiple precincts but that's 1400 election or ballots let's just say right um there were more more ballots cast in that district by like a couple hundred there were i didn't get some of the votes that you know, people just didn't vote on who the assembly person was. They just voted on the mayor and voted on the proposition, um, which I did a ton of work on getting that whole vote by mail thing turned around. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I was campaigning and seeing that at the same time, part of the fuel for why I was running. And so um, I'm like, well, I'm going to campaign. I might as well try to get this thing turned around and get it on the ballot and make sure people understand. Um, that said, at the last election, when we, when it was assembly and service areas, I had three, four people in my precinct, right? You know, uh, for Sterling two, mm-hmm. um, and it was I want to say around 170 voters ballots that we were processed in a 12 hour day. So, <laughs> so you could have totally hand counted that with the it, amount of It would of take people. at least two weeks, yeah, to uh, do that. Hours, uh, yeah. Um, so you could have hand counted that thing in a couple of hours. And, and then actually there was some contesting that happened because uh, Ken Carpenter was running against ben Cindy Car- Eklund. Er, right, right. Yeah, so Cindy Eklund, who's on the assembly, won, and Ben Carpenter lost, and they were going against each Ken, other. Ken Carpenter. Yeah, I said Ken. You said Ben the second time. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> Kenneth Carpenter. <laughs> That's um. a whole nother conversation right there. <laughs> yeah, so Ken Carpenter uh, lost by pretty significant numbers to Cindy Eklund in Sterling. And and that would have been a pretty, yeah, Ken should have won kind of uh, thing. Honestly, I think he probably could have, have campaigned maybe a little harder uh, there in Sterling. Um, but they did a hand count of that. And it really didn't take very much time to do a hand count of the whole Seward area there. Yeah. And so... 
So um, the argument for using these these uh, complicated machines, uh, expensive, expensive, complicated. complicated machines that already have a whole bunch of doubt clouding, you yeah. know, a, a big big rain cloud hanging over oh, the top yeah. of them, uh, and and the lack of trust that they have instilled in the populace, in my mind, leads us into this this uh, this this conversation to a conclusion that should be. Why are we making things more complicated than they have to be when it creates a whole bunch of instability and distrust in the system, mm-hmm. the very foundation of which is instrumental in the preservation of our republic? Yeah. And if I we mean, don't if we don't address that, mm-hmm. then really we don't have a republic because yeah, when the right. people stop participating, I think we have a, a large number of lack of participation, and I think you start seeing that with the ranked choice voting. Where I believe there was a lot of people who voted only once mm-hmm. uh, and didn't rank uh, throughout their their campaign or you know the the various candidates that were there. And I think that the people who have faith in the election system. Um, showed by ranking who they ranked, and they they did do the ranking of of the of the voting. And I think that you know, by and large, it's conservative folks that don't trust the election system right now. Can you blame them? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So on that note, we're we're gonna go ahead and uh, remind everybody. Um, Guess what? If you elect me, I'm not gonna have you. Your taxes are gonna be raised, not cut. <laughs> So uh, that's coming. Your, your taxes and your dollar ain't going to be worth anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know how many people. Uh, let's let's end on a note of uh, talking uh, just briefly about what's uh, on net or on Amazon rather. My family and I have been watching the Rings of Power. The Rings of Power. I don't yeah. know if I've seen that. Oh my gosh! It it is the prequel to the Lord of the Rings. Oh, I saw Amazon a of those. spent a billion dollars. Yeah. A billion. A billion. A billion. I wish I had wow. uh, Donald Trump's soundbite with him to say billions and billions, but um, we're into the third season or third third episode rather, and um, it comes out every Friday. Mm-hmm. Very well done. There's been a lot of people who have tried to troll it and say it's uh, too too woke and multicultural <laughs> and all this stuff. And, Everything is now, you know. And and it's I mean it's very obviously multicultural. And you know when Tolkien wrote his book, the only multiculturalism that happened was in a big battle when the when the southern armies came up and joined to try and and overthrow the the heroes. You know they sided with the bad guy. And uh, they were of a dark skin color from, you know, basically Middle Earth's equivalent of Africa or India. They were riding elephants and, you know, that yeah. sort of thing. But uh, it's woven throughout the, the story. But uh, what, what struck me most was um, the orcs. Mm-hmm. The orcs have, uh, have appeared. And uh, not to spoil it, but, uh, but they're, they're, they're coming. Mm-hmm. And it... They're not quite there yet. It's not a full pitched battle, but there's this this long tunnel that they're they're capturing people and making them dig, and and people who are just minding their own business in their little hamlets. You know, one day they're tending bar, and the next day the floor opens up and somebody grabs them from underneath and drags them into a tunnel, and now they're enslaved. And it reminded me of the 87,000 new IRS agents that are, are, are going to be hired because it kind of feels like that's what's happening. That, that you know, it's interesting that our culture comes up with these, these entertaining 
you know, screenplays and, and stories, but how predictive oftentimes literature and the arts are of uh, the future mm-hmm. or even capturing the essence of the moment and putting that in a different context, but still capturing the feelings that surround that. This sort of like uh, idea of impending doom about ready to, to descend. And uh, any thoughts on 87,000 new IRS agents and millions <laughs> of rounds of nine millimeter ammunition that have been stockpiled by the IRS who essentially are supposed to be bean counters? Yeah, I'd love to get some of that nine millimeter to put on my shelf. Um, but uh, no, the... Uh, I don't like it. Uh, you know, I mean, we're, we're adding to, you know, the, the, as if the IRS didn't already have big enough teeth, you know, and, and now we're, we're, let's bring 87,000 more. I mean, what's that divide out to 50 states? <laughs> you know? Well, let's just talk about the boroughs population again. Yeah. Right, so 50, 57,000? You can, 58. So you could double the population of the entire borough, and now we're talking about that for armed IRS agents. For what? I thought we were supposed to be getting more efficient with technology and, and everything, and so now we're going to have to put boots and guns on the ground? You know, when I heard about all these new IRS agents and the weapons they were giving, the first thought I thought was, man, Joe Biden is such a unifier. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am so glad that Joe Biden is our president, said no one. Not on this mic. Ever. (laughs) Yeah. You've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. Thank you for joining us again. Uh, The rhythm is catching. Uh, We are getting back in sync. Hopefully you'll be hearing another great episode sooner than you think see what i did there oh yeah thanks for having me on all right thanks bill have a great day everybody